The scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 and 10 through 14. It can be found on page 886 in the Black Bibles. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word of the Lord. Thanks for reading, Kendall and Baylor. Good to see all of you here. My name is John Trapp. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King. Uh, Really, it is a joy to have each one of you here with us. A little bit about Christ the King. This is a place for people uh, who need grace, um, including the person standing in front of you. We all show up here needing grace, but we believe here at this church that God's word tells us that he is a God who meets us uh, in our sin and gives us the grace that only he can give. And we believe that's found in his word, uh, which we study together at this time of uh, our worship service. Uh, We are beginning a series in the book of John today that will begin um, today and then go all the way through uh, Easter and a couple days after Easter as well uh, with a little bit of an interruption for Advent. But uh, before we kind of really embark on this sermon series, I wanna do a bit of a preamble to that series by looking at a theme that John touches on here in, uh, in his opening verses. And it's the theme of scripture. Specifically, the fact that the Bible is relevant to us. Kids, relevant means, it, it means it's important to your life. It means that the Bible speaks to your situation, to your problems, to your questions, to your doubts. The Bible is relevant. I heard a pastor named John Stone preach on, on this, and much of what I say to you today is either from him or inspired by uh, my, the message that I heard him give on this. It was really helpful and convicting to me, so I want us to think about it together because the Bible is vitally important to your faith. In fact, if you don't yet have faith in Jesus, you need the truth contained in the Bible in order to have saving faith in him. The Bible really is, it's that important. So let's ask for God to help us as we consider the Bible together, his word. Let's pray. Lord, what a blessing it is to get together around your word that you have preserved for us and given to us in love. We ask that you would help us to understand it better, and as we understand it better, help us to see you more and more for who you are and ourselves for who we are and our need for you. And we ask that you would meet us in that need. And we pray all this in the name of the one by whom you accomplished this, Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray to you. Amen. So I was a campus pastor for seven years at UT Austin, and one of the things that I noticed uh, that students would kind of say to me over the years, I would, I would oftentimes hear something like this. 
hey, I think Jesus is great, but the Bible's kind of weird. Jesus seems, he seems nice, kind, good teacher, but when I read the rest of the Bible, it just sounds old-fashioned, outdated, there's these weird laws in there that like a lot of Christians don't continue to obey. What's with that? There's these parts of the Bible where God seems more like a monster than a good father. What's up with that? So they would conclude Jesus is great, but I'm, I'm just not so sure about the Bible. The problem with this mindset is that Jesus doesn't give us space, and in fact, the Bible doesn't give us space to view him that way. If we are viewing Jesus in this manner, we're ignoring what he says about himself and about the Bible and his relationship to the Bible. And in fact, what the Bible says about its relationship to Jesus. Because the real Jesus depicted in the Bible loves the Bible. He was soaked in God's word, so much so that it seeped out of him in everything that he did in his life and in his ministry. He is, as John says, the embodiment of God's word. He is God's word, and thus he was completely shaped by God's word. And that's what we see first in this passage, is that Jesus is God's Word. The very first verse of the book of John, in the beginning was the Word. This word, word in Greek is logos, which means, um, means word, or also it could mean logic or reason. And what we're seeing here is that this word, this logos, which was with God and was God. It's the logic of God, the reason of God, who God is. This reason of God, of who he is, gets enfleshed, John says in verse 14. The word becomes enfleshed and dwells among us. And as God's word, Jesus displays God's word in all that he did. He is God's word, made flesh to us. It's why the, he, the author of Hebrews um, says later in Hebrews 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So God has been speaking to us. He's been giving us words about himself through the prophets. Verse two, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The author of Hebrews is saying the same thing that the author of John is saying. That Jesus is God's ultimate word to us about who he is. Jesus is God's word with skin on. He is God with skin on. He is God made flesh. And because of this, because Jesus is God's word made flesh, we can't separate him from the Bible. We can't separate him from God's word. And Jesus demonstrated this in his life. He, he didn't separate himself from God's word. In fact, most scholars believe that we've got about 1,800 words of Jesus recorded in the Gospels. 
Of those 1,800 words, 10% of those words are Jesus simply quoting the Bible. Jesus was always referencing the Bible. When he gives his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he's expositing the Bible. He's telling them about the Bible. He's constantly referencing what would have been his Bible, the Old Testament. And he's, he's explaining what it means. It's why he's saying over and over, you have heard it said, he's referencing the Bible, but I say to you, and he explains to them all about the law and the heart of the law. Jesus soaked in the Bible and it seeped out of him in his ministry. It's why when he was faced with temptation in the wilderness, what was his foundation, his bedrock? When he was faced with temptation against the devil, he constantly was referencing the Bible. Jesus' ministry, all throughout it, we see that he's determined to fulfill the promises of the Bible. Some of them that we talked about in the book of Genesis. Jesus is determined to fulfill the promise given to Eve that one day there is going to be one who comes who crushes the head of the serpent. Jesus fulfills that promise. He fulfills the promise made to Noah that the next time that God's wrath is poured out on the world for sin, it will not be upon men, but rather Jesus steps into our place and bears the wrath that we deserved. Jesus fulfills the promise that's given to Abraham that we talked about last week, that there's going to be one who comes from Abraham who will be a blessing to all all the nations of the earth, who'll be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Jesus fulfills that promise. Jesus fulfills the promise made to David that one day there would be one who comes from the line of David who will sit on the throne forever, who will be the eternal king over all. Jesus is fulfilling the promises all throughout the Bible. And we see in the beginning, middle, and end of his ministry, he is always going back to and explaining the Bible. The very beginning of his ministry in Luke 4, Jesus, Jesus shows up at the synagogue from his hometown. And Luke records, he unrolled the scroll, the Isaiah scroll, found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The very beginning of his ministry, Jesus is concerned with the scriptures being fulfilled. In the middle of his ministry, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is teaching, he says, do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. That's the Old Testament. That's his way of saying the Old Testament, law and prophets. He's saying, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And at the end of his earthly ministry, after Jesus has resurrected, he's on a road to this town called Emmaus with these two unnamed disciples. We don't know who they were. And it says that while he was on the road with them, Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
the very end of his ministry with these disciples, he opens up the Old Testament and he begins to teach them and show them that the, all of the Bible is about him. He is the word of God made flesh. Jesus loves the Bible and he was so concerned with fulfilling the scriptures. I had never noticed this until I heard my friend John preach on this, uh, but in, in the book of John chapter 19, when it's recording Jesus's crucifixion, we see even on the cross, Jesus is thinking about the Bible. In John 19, this is the, the second to last thing Jesus says before he dies. He's about to die and say, it is finished and breathe his last. But before that, John records this. After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. That is a stunning passage. That while Jesus is hanging on the cross, he is still thinking about the scriptures that need to be fulfilled. And so he says, I thirst, because it had been prophesied. Jesus is thinking about the fulfillment of the scriptures because he was rooted in the Bible and he was God's word to us and fleshed. And because Jesus is God's word, you can't know Jesus apart from the Bible. And you, you really can't understand the Bible apart from Jesus. Now, I know, I know the objections that are behind, and I, and I, I get them. I, have, I feel those objections sometimes. That's behind, I'll take Jesus, but not the Bible. Because the Bible and Jesus through the Bible speak into parts of our lives that we don't want messed with. So I'll have Jesus, but I don't want to listen to the Bible's instruction on my money. Or I'll, I'll have Jesus, but I don't want the Bible to speak into how I use my time or my commitment to a local church. But I'll, I'll have Jesus, but I don't want him to speak into how I should talk about and regard my enemies. The people who I, who I disagree with, who annoy me, I don't want Jesus to speak into that, into how I regard them and even pray for them. Or I'll have Jesus, but I, I do not want the Bible to touch my relationship with alcohol or with substances. I'll have Jesus, but I don't want the Bible to speak in. God's word cannot speak into that. Or I'll have Jesus, but I don't, the Bible, the, the way the Bible speaks about how we should be concerned for orphans and refugees and widows, it's like too much. I can't handle it. I don't want the Bible to speak into that. And when we live this way, what we end up doing is we craft a Jesus who, who, who isn't, he's not the real Jesus. He's, he's like the Ricky Bobby version of Jesus, right? Some of you know the movie I'm talking about where they start praying to a little eight pound baby Jesus with his golden diapers. We make this like version of Jesus that's comfortable in our heads that's not the real one. The real one who would speak to us not only about the hope and the grace that's found in God, but also warn us about the coming judgment when he will judge the earth, when he 
condemns and speaks into our pet sins of greed and our pet sins of self-righteousness and hypocrisy and his shocking warnings about where those sins lead. Because what we would rather do is throw that out, but when we do, we keep for ourselves a gentle, sedated, fake Jesus. We have to take Jesus at his word for who he is, and he's given us the Bible so that we may understand that. Um, When I was uh, in college, I went to uh, Vanderbilt University in Nashville, and the parking in Nashville is terrible, especially around the university. And so it's so bad that they don't even give freshmen a parking pass. You just can't have a parking pass, can't park on campus. So most people don't bring their cars, but I really wanted to have my car there. And so bring my my old 95 Chevy Tahoe. Oh, I think it was awesome. Bring, Bring my car to campus. And my theory is I can just my car is not registered. They don't know it's me. This is kind of like a fake university police situation. I'm just going to park wherever I want. I'll park in the visitor parking. I'm a visitor, you know, if you think about it. And my truth was that I was a visitor, y'all. Okay, that was my truth. And so I just start parking in the visitor spots. And, you know, there's a couple times I, I, I start getting some tickets and accumulating them. But you know what? They don't, my car's not registered. So I'm good. My car, they don't know who I am. My car's not registered here. They knew, who, they knew who I was. So, spoiler alert. <laughs> my uh, last day of, of, of school, my freshman year, I've taken my last exam, going back, um, driving back to my, my home in Alabama um, the next day, and I walk past where I've parked my car behind my dorm, and there's another ticket on the windshield. I'm like, wow, yeah, okay, whatever. And, uh, <laughs> but then... They, they, didn't, they didn't have these in Tuscumbia, Alabama, where I was from, but there was this big orange thing on the back left tire that I now know is called a boot, and it makes it completely impossible to drive your car. There was a boot on my car with a phone number that I had to call, and they're like, oh, yes, we have been waiting for you. Um, and uh, that's what I spent my, the money I made for my summer job, was paying off parking tickets my freshman year. Really good times. Lesson learned. But... What I learned is that it didn't, it didn't matter what my truth was when it came to my parking when I had to deal with the objective truth. And there is presented to you in the scriptures an objective truth about who God is and that Jesus is actually God's word enfleshed and that he is God in flesh who is determined to fulfill all of the scriptures and to give them to us in love so that we might know him. So we must wrestle with the reality that Jesus actually does care about the way that we live our lives in response to his grace for us. God's word is relevant to us. It's how he has determined to communicate to us Think about what we just studied in the book of Genesis. That God is a, he is a speaking God. That the whole of creation is formed by his very word. And then he begins his relationship with Adam and with Eve by speaking words over them. 
by welcoming, welcoming them into a relationship in which they keep his word by faith and enjoy a covenant love with him. But it, it shouldn't surprise us, surprise us then that when Satan shows up, when the serpent shows up in the garden, where does the serpent first attack? God's word. What does he say to Eve? Did God really say that you can't eat of any tree from the garden? Which is, again, God didn't say that. He didn't say don't eat of that one tree, but the serpent twists God's word. So even in that, he's attacking God's word, twisting God's word. And this, friends, this is what we have seen, not just in the book of Genesis, but throughout our whole story. Is that there's an attack on you and on me, and on anyone, from believing in the word of God. That we would trust another's word, that we would trust our own word about ourselves, or something that the world says to us about ourselves. And there's all different kinds of, of ways that the Bible has been brought to question. One of the things that I would see a lot at, at UT, I'd have students ask me things like, hey, how do you know that the Bible hasn't been manipulated? Or changed that the Bible that's that black Bible that's in your pew is it? How do we know that that's the Bible that was originally given to us? And this is a question that's been asked quite a bit, especially in the last 120 years or so, um, as you know, philosophically we moved into like modernity and postmodernity, and how do how do we understand and believe that this is actually true? And some of you may have heard of this, but the Dead Sea Scrolls were a really significant moment in history about 75 years ago. These, um, these scrolls were discovered because people have been, you know, prior to this, people have been saying, like, okay, the, mo- the, the most recent version of the Old Testament, like the most recent Old Testament manuscript that we had before the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered were dated around 900 AD. So how, do, how can we believe that this thing that's, from 900 AD, you know, thousand, you know, way, way later after it was originally written, how can we believe that this is true? Well, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, the date of our earliest manuscripts of Old Testament documents, the earliest date went from 900 AD to 200 BC. And one article I read said this, this discovery demonstrated the unusual accuracy of transmission over a thousand year period, rendering it reasonable to believe that current Old Testament texts are reliable copies of the original works. There was another scroll um, discovered in the 70s that has a similar story to this. It's kind of cool. It, it, it's um, called the En Gedi Scroll. And it was discovered in the charred remains, I think from like a volcanic blast or something. And when they discovered it, they knew that it was a burned scroll, but they also, scientists, archeologists knew that if they tried to unroll it, that it would just disintegrate. But they also knew that there was technology being developed that would eventually be able to digitally unroll this thing using stuff I don't understand. But they knew that they could figure it out. 
And in 2016, they did. They digitally unrolled this scroll. They had no idea what was contained inside of it. But this is from a USA Today article written six years ago about this. For decades, an object much like a burnt stick sat in storage in Israel awaiting the day when its secrets could be divined. Now researchers have revealed that the blackened object is one of the oldest copies of a text fundamental to both Jews and Christians. Hidden within the charred manuscript are verses from the sacred text called the Five Books of Moses, also known collectively as the Torah. They are the foundation of Judaism and also integral to Christianity's Old Testament. To scholars' astonishment, the newly divulged text is exactly the same in both letters and format as text in modern Torah scrolls read by most Jews today. In a later interview, leading scholar Emmanuel Tove of the Hebrew University of Jerusalem said, this is quite amazing for us that in 2000 years, this text has not changed. Friends, I, I think what this demonstrates for us is that God is sovereign over his word. I mean, if I understand having questions like the ones that we're talking about and, and wrestling with that. But one thing I would ask you is, do you pray about the weather sometimes? Like, oh, I'm going to play golf, I really don't want it to rain. Maybe you throw up like a prayer about the weather. Or you throw up a prayer about um, a test that you have coming up or a work presentation that you want to go well. Or um, I don't know, maybe you're feeling sick and you, you ask the Lord to, to, uh, to help you. Those are all great prayers. But also behind that assumption is that God can do something about that prayer that he's sovereign and can, can, can affect change to do something about the weather or about your sickness or about your work presentation. If we assume that God is that sovereign over things like that, should we not also consider that he would be sovereign over the creation and preservation of his word? That he would, that he would take great care over the creation and the preservation of the Bible. Friends, if it is his word that he has given to us, it is the most important, the most relevant thing for us to hear and to know because in it you find this. There is hope for sinners like us. God is a God who comes near to us, who takes on flesh so that we can be rescued. The Bible is the true story of your life and of the world. And the story that you believe is true will shape you. And the story that John is telling us is one of rescue. Stories really do shape us. I, um, I had been in seminary, we were talking about the reality of this, that we know the stories that we believe about ourselves really do shape uh, how we inhabit our families and the world. And um, this is a lot of what therapy is, by the way, is, is kind of like understanding your story and what you believe about yourself. So uh, as I was thinking about that, also my seminary professors, another one of my preaching professors said, never make yourself the hero of one of your stories. I'm kind of gonna do that this time. Okay, sorry. Y'all have heard enough of like the bad stories about me. This is like one, like, one thing I kind of, maybe did right one time, okay? So 
I'm thinking about how our stories shape us and the stories that we believe shape us. And I was also thinking about my, my own childhood. I was like a scared kid. And I had a great, great home life. I love my mom and dad. Really thankful for our family's life together. But just in general, I was, af- I was afraid of my classmates. I was afraid of what people thought about me. Um, I was very just controlled by fear. And I didn't want that for my kids. I didn't want that for my, my, my oldest son, Owen. I asked him if I could tell a story. He said I could. So some of y'all know Owen's story started out very scary. He was um, born very early. We spent two months in the NICU. We actually weren't even in Houston when he was born. We were stuck at a hospital in Nashville. And from the very beginning, though, Owen has... Uh, I was just thinking like he has faced scary things in his life. And I want him, as his dad, I want to help him see that. I want to point that out to him when he does something brave. One of the stories I want him to know about himself is that he's brave. So we just kind of do that throughout life together is trying to point out moments of courage. And so he, I guess this was like maybe kindergarten, first grade. He brought home one of those sheets of paper that kids fill out at school. And it's like, my name is blank and my favorite color is blank and my favorite food is blank. And when I grow up, I want to be a blank. So Owens was filled out and he brought it home. And Chrissy's like, you need, to, you need to look at what he brought home. So I go and check it out. It's, my name is Owen. When I grow up, I want to be an astronaut. Why? Because my dad thinks I'm brave. The stories that we believe about ourselves, it really does, it shifts and changes who we think we are and what we think we can do. And the story of the Bible, the story that John is telling us here, is that to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That the story spoken over you from God is that all who would come to him in faith, you are adopted into his family. You're part of his family. You're a child of God. That's the story that is true about you. So what story do you believe? All of us believe some story about this world and about our lives. Is the story that you believe that this world is random, that no one made it, that our deep love and care for each other is just the result of some kind of evolutionary processes or is there a better story a true story a story where the author has entered in to the story so that all who did receive him who believed in his name could be given the right to become his children if that story is true and I think it is if that story is true, then we need to listen to the author of the story. We need to listen to his word and be shaped by it, even when it is hard, even when it doesn't feel good, even when it feels unnatural. He's the author of life and he knows how life works best and he's demonstrated to us by becoming flesh that he is for our good and he welcomes us to trust his word the bible and to follow him
All of God's word is about his rescuing love for us. And I, hope, I really hope that that's what you'll see as we study the book of John together because it, it is the purpose of the book of John. You see it on the front of your order of worship. John says this later in ch- chapter 20, verse 30. These words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. May that be so. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks. Thanks for your word that you've given to us that is true, that you've preserved for us um, so that we might know more of who you are. Lord, would you give us the faith to believe and to follow you? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.